If you got your Bible, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 11. We're going to be digging in the very uh, passage that uh, we just read together right there. And uh, we are continuing in this sermon series called Acts, the Church on Mission. Now, I tell you, one of the greatest revelations that God has ever given me came not through a dream or a vision or even what I call a liver shiver. <laughs> it, it, it actually came from a deep study of God's Word. And you know what it was? This was it. One of the greatest revelations that God has ever given me is this. He gave me years ago. It's that every Christian is called to ministry. Every Christian is called to ministry, not just the ones who go off to seminary and then come back and they get uh, a brother put in front of their name and then they, and, they, and, and they get paid for it. It's everybody. And listen, that means you. That means every one of you are called by God to the ministry. My, my role in the ministry is simply in equipping, is to equip you to go do the work of the ministry according to God's word. And here's my conviction, and I, and I believe this deep down, but I believe that there are possibly some of you who are not being used to the, to the degree that God wants to use you. For whatever reason, you're holding back. For whatever reason, God desires to use you in greater ways than you are currently allowing him to use you. And what I want to do is just kind of open up the Word of God and let that kind of convict you, attack you, and compel you to just get after it. I mean, think about this. If God Almighty is saying, hey, I want to use you to, to do things that will send ripple effects through eternity, don't you want to say yes to that? Of course you do. Of course you do. So this past week, uh, uh, I told you, Pastor Caleb and I, we, were, we embarked on, again, uh, another season of one of the hardest things that I've ever done in my entire life. And that is coach a five-year, five- and six-year-old t-ball team. One of the hardest things. Um, there, is, there is no amount of patience that can be given to actually allow a coach to do that well. <laughs> just, you're going to lose your patience and lose your mind. Now, I will say only one time throughout the whole season did, a, did an umpire warn me that I was not allowed to push the kids. Um, now, I, I say that I wasn't actually, f f like, you know, pushing the kids in a mean way. It's just that I was the first base coach, and as a first base coach, one of my jobs was to compel the, per the, the kid that was on first base when a batter would hit the ball to run to second. Well, when I would scream about, you know, as much as I could, uh, run, 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 and I'd scream, run, and I'd call their name, run. Finally, I think there's only one alternative, and that is to actually give them a gentle, I, I told him I wasn't pushing, I was just giving them a gentle nudge, you know, towards second, and, and I don't see anything wrong with that. It, he, he ended up running, but uh, he did give me that warning, and so I, I cooled it down after that, but we had a great time, but it, it's always interesting to see here are these boys, they've, they're in their uniforms, they're proud of their uniforms. What have they come to do? They've come to play baseball, and yet you look in the dugout, and they're doing everything but thinking about baseball. They, they've got a little water bottle, and they're flipping it around, trying to, you know, land it right, straight, right side up. And, you know, we, it's uh, Marianne Schwab. If you see her, she's a member of the church. She was dugout mom. I'll say, as a coach, she had the hardest job. 
Because you've got, you've got two things in dugouts. Well, you've got a lot of things, but you've got five and six-year-old boys, and you've got a bunch of metal baseball bats. And I'm thinking, if we can just get through the year without losing teeth, that may be good. You know, telling little Johnny that he cannot swing the bat in the dugout just seems to not register with him. But when little Johnny's up at bat, we're all looking for little Johnny. And what is he doing? He's over there flossing, you know, doing this little dance in the dugout. And we're like, Johnny, you got it. And, I, and by the way, I ch- that we don't have a Johnny on the team. I changed the name for, to protect the not-so-innocent because I could just name all the kids. And, and, and uh, they were all guilty of that. But here's what I saw. And I must have said it and even screamed it in the most sanctified kind of way. We are here to play baseball. Get your head in the game, you know, those kind of things. Again, I'm screaming it, but I'm screaming it in the most sanctified kind of way. And, and yet, here, here they've come to play baseball, and they're playing some different game in the dugout. And I wonder, and I wonder, do we do that as a church? Jesus said, make disciples. And oftentimes, we can become so involved in church meetings and a lot of sideways energy that it's almost likened to playing games in the dugout and we're not even playing baseball playing a totally different game and so I want to remind you we are here for one overarching purpose we exist to glorify God by making disciples of all nations And if your church involvement is actually not equipping you to do that, if you're not doing that right now, it's a fail. Like we're we're failing in what we're called to be as the church. We are called to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. We all have to consider in what sphere of influence do we have that ability to do, and and then we go and carry it out. So I want to ask you at the very beginning, how are you doing? Are you making disciples? Are you intentionally involved in other people's lives? Are you open to the Bible and and are you making disciples? Are you being missional? You may say, well, what does it look like to be missional? Well, glad you asked. I got four ways, four facets of what it looks like to be missional because we want to, I want you to be a missional individual and I want us to be a missional church. Let's jump in. First of all, evangelize. That is not a popular term. That immediately when you, when you hear evangelize, uh, that, that makes you think of uh, somebody, uh, I remember when I was at Auburn, uh, on the concourse, there would be, there would be these uh, folks that would stand on this little box and they would scream at people as they went by saying, you know, repent, believe. Well, that's, that's fine, that's good. But, but then they would start calling people uh, bad, uh, pretty bad names like saying, you adulterous, you this, and I mean, just calling people specific things it really it didn't it really didn't engage people well and that's oftentimes what we think about we think about evangelize but as we'll see today in this text it's it's much more natural than that so let's jump in let's let's look at this um acts chapter 11 verse 19 now remember in Acts 2 he said you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus said. He gave the Holy Spirit. Now uh, Jerusalem is pretty much where it's concentrated around and, and right now still the gospel is primarily Jewish. We've gotten to some other people, the Gentiles but now today we're starting to see it move uh, extremely out from Jerusalem. So this is really good. Look at verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution, again, we saw this, that um, persecution happened to the church, and the church scattered out from Jerusalem. He said, um, 
that arose against Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Again, it's primarily Jewish. But now we're going to see that it starts to take on a Gentile slant. Now, you, you got those three places, and you may not be familiar with these areas. So I want to, just for the sake of, of reference, I want to show you what we're talking about. All right, so I zoomed out right here. We're going to kind of zoom in from here. So you got two plate. The red, you know where that is? Enterprise, Alabama. That's right. That's where you are right now. All right. So right there in Enterprise. And the blue is this little sliver of land. It's very interesting when you read the, just about the whole Bible except for the latter half of Acts. It really has everything to do with this little sliver of land right there, um, uh, that right there where the blue is. So we're going to zoom in from that. And uh, as you zoom in, you can see the Mediterranean Sea right there in the middle. You see the, the, the country called Italy that looks like a boot. You remember, probably remember that from geography uh, class. And then you see Africa is right below. The continent of Africa is right to the bottom left of that, that big area right there. And then you can see these three areas. We're going to zoom in from there. And, and so there now we're starting to see Antioch, Cyprus, and Phoenicia. They make like a triangle. And we'll even zoom in one more time. And that's what we're talking about right there. Okay, so Cyprus is still called Cyprus today. That's an island right there in the Mediterranean. And then um, you've got uh, Phoenicia, which is the red down, down below. That is modern-day Lebanon. And then up from that, you've got Antioch, which is right on the border of modern-day Turkey and Syria. So that's what you have right there. And Antioch is where this uh, multi-ethnic, multicultural church begins to be ascending post to the rest of the nations getting the gospel. All right? So... Uh, let me just tell you a little bit about Antioch before we go on. Antioch was a very, very important town. In fact, it was the third largest in the uh, Roman Empire. The first two were Rome and Alexandria. And so you had Antioch. Um, you, you, there was a, it was very pluralistic in terms of religion. You had Zeus, Apollos, and uh, Poseidon uh, worship there just down the road. There five, about five miles outside of Antioch, there's a place called Daphne where... Um, where Apollos and, and Artemis was, uh, was worshipped. There was a lot of cult prostitution, a lot of different worldviews, a lot of different backgrounds. And because this was a major place of trade, a lot of highways coming in through Antioch, you had just a lot of people. So this is a perfect place for a multi-ethnic and multicultural church. And it's about to become the launching pad for worldwide missions. Look at verse 20. It says, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And then in verse 21 it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So it's a new day for the spread of the gospel. I want to I point out three aspects that we see right here about these people who evangelized. First of all, you know what they did? They engaged people. Let me tell you what a, 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 a temptation for all of us is. And that is escapism. In fact, that's been around for 2,000 years of church history. We've always seen the, 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 the temptation to, to leave the world, to form your own little community, form your own little bubble, and leave it. Because you look at the world around you, it's so different than the things that you value. So you're thinking, ah, as a Christian, you know what? Uh, we, we need to start a little Christian cul-de-sac, a little holy huddle right here. But we cannot do that. The church 
that has thrived has always been a church on mission. And so there should be inward-facing relationships and outward-facing relationships. And that means we've got to engage people. And when we engage people, we can't just, like, say, believe in God or, or you know, just we, we've got to engage them in a, in a very normal way, in a way that actually appreciates the nuances of their character and who they're about, their personality, what makes them them and, and, and engage them, show interest, show kindness and that kind of thing. And then we see the second thing is they spoke the word of the Lord to them. In other words, they knew the gospel well. They knew it well enough to, sh- to share it. Let me ask you, do you know, do you know the gospel well enough to, to share it in a normal way that just kind of navigates the nuances of a conversation? Not like a script that you've got to like go down, but, but just getting there. Or you could ask, I could ask you this. If someone were to ask, what must I do to be saved, what would you say to them? Oftentimes we'll say, well, accept Jesus into your heart. But, you know, that's not sufficient. I mean, who is this Jesus? So you've got to talk about the person and work of Jesus. What has he done? Who is he? But, but then what does it mean to repent and believe? What, is it, what does that actually look like? What does that mean? And so the gospel is the good news that, that Jesus Christ has done it all. And so we've got to be able to tease that out in normal, everyday conversations so they engaged people they knew the gospel and thirdly and I love this part they were anonymous in fact if you look back it says but there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene but that's all it gives us it tells us where they're from doesn't give us a name and this is an important lesson that I think we can all learn the lesson of embracing obscurity this is something that uh, as you know, we have this internship program with young men that want to be pastors. And, we, and so they, we've got some houses over there. They live, they live in the houses and they kind of walk with us for about a year. And one of the things in, in terms of their curriculum that Pastor Caleb wrote, one of the things that he pointed out that I think is really good is to plan for obscurity. Because there's coming a day when you'll be forgotten and you're, you're, we're all drifting towards obscurity. And that may, ter- that may terrify some of us. Oftentimes when I speak to teenagers and to college students, I'll, I'll oftentimes ask them, I'll say, just, just show of hands in here, how many of you can give me a first and last name of your great-great-grandparents? Of just two of your great-great-grandparents. All one is a first and last name. And I'm telling you, almost never do I see a hand go up. And then I ask the question, what are you living for? Because if you're living to make a name for yourself, for accolades, for trophies, for whatever it is, if you're living to make a name for yourself, it's not going to last. By your own admission, it's not that some people won't know, it's that your own flesh and blood, just a few generations removed. It's, it's not like they won't know like your favorite color, favorite food, or what you did as a career. They won't even know your name. And they won't even care. That's not going to keep them up at night. It doesn't keep you up at night. And so I go back to what are you living for that really matters, that really lasts, that really has ripple effects that will outlive your life. Because if you're living for your, yourself, when that last clap is clapped, it's done. And then it's over with and there are no do-overs. And the thing is, you're, you're made to live. You're made to live for something bigger. So, so get ready for obscurity. 
And don't worry about if you get credit. Share the gospel. And the people that make the biggest splash are not the ones that are the most famous. It'd be great to get T- Tim Tebow up here down to First Baptist Enterprise. It costs tons of money. <laughs> but it'd be great because I, I, I like Tim Tebow. Um, I see, like when I saw him play football, I, it, it reminded me of when I played football. He just, it was, there was a lot of similarities, at least in my mind. But the, 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 the famous people, like getting the headliners that, that just a lot of people will come like, wow, I want to go hear him. That, that's not how God is going to win the world to himself. You know how he's going to do it? Jesus modeled this. It's through obscurity. It's through becoming small. It's through the, the men and the women who are just diligent about praying Knowing God's word, meeting with people, loving on people, pouring into people, and multiplying their lives for the glory of Christ. So, number one, evangelize. Number two, disciple. Disciple. This is the second facet of a missional church and a missional person, missional Christian. Look at verse 22 through uh, 26. The word of this, or I'm sorry, the, the, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met, with the, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So a little trivia for you. Where was the first place that they were, the disciples were called Christians? It was here in Antioch. Now, what does, it, what does it mean to be a Christian? I'm sure most of you, if you were to ask, what do you believe or what's your faith? What, what's your religion? You'd probably say, I'm a Christian. Well, what does that actually mean? Well, it literally means little Christ. You see, there, uh, the major distinction between people were, was twofold up until that time. It was usually Jew and Gentile. You always hear Jew and Gentile, Jew and Gentile. All right? But now we see a third category because they see the church. They're like, okay, some are Jews, some are Gentiles, but they're not just Jews and they're not just Gentiles. What do we make of these people? Well, here's what they do. They're like little Christ. They're, they, they reflect the character of Christ. Jesus said... When a, when a disciple is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. And that's really the idea. I mean, that's what our Christian walk wants to be. Does it not? You want to be more and more like Jesus. The way he loved, the way he taught, the way that his, his, the things he did. That his, we, we are called as a church and as Christians to reflect the character of Christ. That's what we're about. That's what we're about. And, uh, and so we are to disciple and the only way that's going to happen is, is by teaching God's word. That's why it says right here, for a whole year, Saul and Barnabas taught a great many people. And so you want to see this modeled, you, there's teaching. And you may say, well, I'm not a teacher. Well, let me just say, Jesus said that the Great Commission, which is for all Christians, go and make disciples. Well, how do we do that? By, make, by, by baptizing and by 
teaching them everything I've commanded you. In other words, we are, to, it's, we are to be lifelong students of God's Word. And when you go to these Bible studies, when you hear sermons preached, you know what you're to do? You're to take that, and then you're to regurgitate it. You're not just to be a, like a you know, like a pond and, and you have a dam and it just, water's flowing in and it just sits right there, but you're to be a conduit. It's to continue on through you and you're to pour into somebody else. And it could be children or grandchildren. Those are your, I think, you know, proximity is probably your highest priority. But even from that, what, what neighbors, coworkers, uh, friends, family members that you can pour into? That's what you're called to do. That's what, that's what you are being trained to do as you teach God's word. And then number three, care. So evangelize, disciple, and care. Here's what we mean. Look at verses 27 through 30. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And we'll see in just a little bit that Saul and Barnabas are sent out. But when these people heard about this need, when they heard about a need, you know what they did? Because they reflected the character of Christ, because they were little Christ, because they were Christians, they, they rose up and they sacrificed What do we see? We see selflessness. We see generosity. We see uh, corporate sacrifice in order to take care of others. Now, again, there's inward facing and outward facing. So the the first priority is to to be inward facing. If we're going to be missional, we've got to take care of one another. Why? Because the rest of the world looks at this and Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. You know one of the greatest apologetics to the world? In other words, one of the greatest testimonies to the world one of the greatest compelling factors that, that, we're, that we're different and we get it is by the way that we care and love for one another. We come from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic levels, different skin colors, different everything. We come under the banner that Jesus Christ is Lord and we love one another that we will actually sacrifice in order to bless one another. That's what the church has always done and that's what the church continues to do. And I just want to say, I see this all the time. You often hear uh, me announce a, a need there's a family in need there's a family that, w- that needs a car or they, they need a, a place to live or they need this or they need that and, and the church First Baptist Enterprise it always steps up you always step up and that's a testimony that the spirit of God is alive in us and moving through us and that we really do care about being missional and not only that, there's not only the inward facing, but there's the outward facing. I mean, you should just go through like all, I, I, all the, 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 the ministries that we're involved with in this community and around the world in order to care for the least of these, orphans, widows, the impoverished, the hungry. It's amazing what you do, First Baptist. It's amazing how you always step up and whenever there's a need, you make sure that that need is met and so we want to continue to do that we, we don't want to just say okay put it in neutral we're good now we want to continually press into that and increasingly become a missional church in the way that we evangelize disciple care and number four send the way 
that we sinned. Look at chapter, skip over to chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, there are certainly many things to notice. I want you to first notice the, the diversity here in the church in Antioch. So you had Barnabas, and these were all leaders too. They come from different backgrounds, different, different people, different types of people in leadership. You had Barnabas, he was a Cyprian Jewish believer. You had Simeon, who was called Niger, which actually means black or dark, and most believe that he was from Africa. Uh, you have another guy from North Africa. You have uh, Menaean, who was uh, brought up in Herod's court. He was related to the royal upper class. And then you have Saul, who's Jewish. And he was a Jewish believer. He was a Pharisee. He was a scholar, brilliant guy. So you have all of these guys, totally different backgrounds, totally different places that they're from. They're, they're a part of this multi-ethnic church. And you know what they do? They send. They're looking around, they're like, this gospel is a global gospel. This gospel is meant to get out, and we cannot be satisfied just sitting here and doing nothing. We're going to send some out. And I think we, we, we can see three aspects of their sending. First of all, worship is what fueled the mission. Notice what they were doing. They were worshiping together when the Holy Spirit spoke to them. They, they worshiped. You see, I've heard it said that worship I mean, I'm sorry, that missions is the mission of the church. That the mission of the church is missions. Let me just say, I, I know where that's coming from, but that's not quite right. Missions is not the mission of the church. Worship is the mission of the church. Missions is the means to that end, to worship. Or as John Piper said, that, the, that worship is the fuel and the goal for missions. In, in other words, missions exist uh, because worship doesn't. In other words, there are pockets around the world, in our community and around the world, where people don't know Jesus, either because they don't believe him or they've never even heard of his name. And if, if they call out on the name of Jesus and believe on the name of Jesus, then their hearts will never be changed and their hearts will never actually worship God and then therefore God will not receive the glory. And so what we want to do in missions is spread a passion for the supremacy of Christ so that there are more God glorifiers on planet earth. That's why we say we exist to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. The ultimate in for which we exist is glory, is God's glory, is worship. And God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him, when we glorify Him, when we worship Him. And so missions is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. We'll never stop worshiping, but we will stop in missions. One day when Jesus comes back. So number one, worship fueled the mission. Number two, the, the spirit in the church affirmed the mission. 
In other words, you didn't have rogue evangelists or rogue missionaries. You, they, it, it came under the authority of the church. They blessed it. They affirmed it. And, and the church was led by the Spirit, which we know that the Spirit and the Word of God always works together. So we must continue to be anchored in the Word of God as we uh, affirm. And so think about when we, when we call deacons, we call elders or, or pastors, when we send out missionaries, when we comp- co- uh, commission church planters, as we did with Noah and Taryn just a few weeks ago. What are we doing? We are affirming them as a church, and we're saying, yes, we believe the Holy Spirit is leading us and leading you uh, for you to go and for us to send. And so we send them on their way. That's exactly what we see right here. And then the third aspect that I want you to notice is the church sent their best. It could have been really easy for the church of Antioch to say, Barnabas? No, we can't send Barnabas. We need Barnabas here. He's his, his, his name literally means son of encouragement. We need his encouragement. He's a really good teacher. Saul, are you kidding me? He's a scholar. He's brilliant. We need him. Saul, I mean, look at his, look at his testimony. I mean, my goodness, he can, he can share a great testimony of how he was persecuting the church, and now he's, he's, uh, he's a believer in Christ. We need Saul and Barnabas here. We can't send them out. No, 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 we need them here. But they didn't do that. What did they do? They took their all-stars. I mean, it's like Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen being on the same team. Like, how did that ever happen? And then taking those two and, and the Bulls saying, right in the peak of the 90s, I tell you what, we're going we're gonna to trade these two to another team. Like, why would you do that? You got the two bats right there. Saul and Barnabas were sent out. They sent their best. But you know why? It's because they didn't lose sight of the mission. They weren't caught up in playing games in the dugout because they knew what the mission was, and that is to continually send, continually go, to continually press the gospel forth to the ends of the earth and that right there has been in the dna of this church for a long time and my prayer is that it will continue in fact i know that because look around at this building this building right here this sanctuary was constructed and and completed in the early 50s in the night early 1950s and it was done uh under the leadership of uh of Dr. Brady Justice. He was a pastor here for 25 years. And uh, just so, I've heard so many great stories about him and just what a great man he was, what a great leader and what a great pastor. And And I walk by his picture often and I feel his eyes looking at me sometimes like, (laughs) <laughs> don't run this thing into the ground and <laughs> and then I feel the eyes of all of them saying that you know but but uh here's what's interesting about that is within a year of this being completed now you can imagine I mean this is a beautiful sanctuary you got all kind of crown molding I mean a lot of it there's there's just a this is a beautiful sanctuary we're so grateful what a great tool this is to worship to, to come together and worship in but it didn't, it, it wasn't cheap. And so it took the sacrifice of many to do this. And you could only imagine that after it was completed and after everybody sacrificed, and, I mean, there was this building campaign and they, and, and, and they decided to not eat out as much. And people, and like, they, they got their money together. Families like sacrificially gave and they finally completed it. You would think, okay, we got to just kind of take it easy for a second and, and, and work on filling this place up, right? But he didn't do that. You know what he did immediately after that? He said, 
and he started to cast a vision that there's a section of town that's a growing, it's on the other end of town. It's a growing section of town. And we need a church there. And we need to plant a church. And you know what that growing other end of town was? It was Hillcrest, <laughs> which is funny to think about that as the other end of town. But back then, that was, that was the other end of town, I guess. But, uh, of course, the rest is history. And they planted Hillcrest Baptist Church. And you know what they did to do that? They sent their best. In fact, the, fir the first guy he, he asked to be the pastor was Bernie Reese who, if you've been around, you've probably heard the stories of the, the great Bernie Reese revival. And, uh, and it, it, was, it, was a, it was, you know, huge revival back in, I believe, the 50s. And, and, uh, and, and he was just an amazing evangelist. Had a great story, similar to, to, to Saul and then Paul. Had just this incredible story. He, he was a man of God, and he was one of, the, one of the best, right? He was one of the best. And Dr. Brady Justice said, I want you to go. Of course, he wasn't able to go, and he didn't do it. And so another guy became uh, the, the first pastor there. But still, with the members of First Baptist Enterprise, you know what they did? Right after they completed this, they made room for others because they sent their best down the road to plant a church. And that had to be a scary thing at the time, just completed, having just completed this building. But what that tells me is that neither Brady Justice, the pastor, nor the congregation of First Baptist Enterprise got too caught up playing games in the dugout that they, net, that they, that they lost sight of the mission. May we never lose sight. May we never get caught up in all of the sideways energies that, that, that many churches can get caught up in. And that we always are looking for ways to advance the mission in this town and then around the world. Because, listen, you think about Hillcrest Baptist Church now, huge church. They're, they're planting churches across North America and around the world. They're doing amazing things, great things. They're seeing many people come to faith. And they are reaching, we are reaching together, First Baptist and Hillcrest, more than if we would have just tried to pack this place out as much as we could have. More people are being reached. The gospel is being multiplied. And that all came from a missional mindset. Oh, may we always keep this missional mindset alive here at First Baptist Enterprise. Father, we pray that we would be a people who continually look for ways to be missional, to evangelize, to disciple, to care, and to send. All for the glory of Christ, even if it means sacrificing by sending our very best. That's painful, it's uncertain, it's scary. But you're always calling us to step out in faith. So help us to do that. As individuals and as a church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.